Hello, everyone. Welcome back to New Narratives, dispatches from Minnesota that highlight the stories of Asian America. My name is Yoko Vu, and I'm the storyteller intern for Asian American Organizing Project. I've been seeing the YouTube ad that has Halsey's catchy song, I'm Coming Out, all over for Pride Month. And as I was researching for this episode, I learned about a new term from an article on Refining29, inviting in, so welcome. And I invite you to listen to this episode featuring Chifeng Yang, Angela Latanavali, and Mubina Kurushi. I spoke with them about what it's like navigating different and sometimes difficult conversations with family in relation to being LGBTQ+. Yeah, so I'm Chufang, Chufang Yang. I use she, her, and hers pronouns. I am queer, transgender, and Asian. Specifically, I'm Hong, and I am a singer and songwriter. You may recognize Chufang from a previous episode for Trans Visibility Day when I spoke with her about her song, Mingyo Hmong, which was released in April. The lyrics in that song speak to her experience of being Hmong and queer. Because of, like, my identities intersect like that it's a very very complex experience and and the music video tells that story of coming out and being transgender and the lyrics tells that story of like how do I honor myself and who I am and my people and my culture right and and how do I hold both things simultaneously because I am the type of person where I'm like I can have it all because it all means so much to me. And I think that's the hardest part. Like I said earlier, right? Like people will be like, oh, like you're queer, you're trans. Like that's not what Asian people do. Like that's not what Hmong people do. And I'll be like, but I am Hmong, right? And I will always be Hmong. And I think the, the hardest part is again, like holding both of those things, like holding my people, holding my culture and holding my identities and constantly having to display and demonstrate that like I exist in both spaces at once, right? So like last month was AAPI month and I did a lot of things there and now it's pride month and I'm like, I'm still here, right? Like I'm, I'm still here because I am both. The intersection of being Hmong and queer makes Chufeng's experiences a bit different from stories we hear and see in mainstream media. It's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of ups and downs. I think one of the best things I learned to do was set boundaries. And there's this quote by a certain somebody, these are not my words, <laughs> um, but there's this quote where it's like, boundaries are the place where I can love you and love myself. And so like, I had to learn how to set boundaries with not like my parents per se, but like my relatives and my family, right? Of like, this is who I am. and if you're not okay with that, like, I don't need you to be, right? Like, you don't need to be okay with it. And like, I would appreciate if you can respect my identity. And if you can't, then we can't be in each other's lives. And it's been also a lot of like, navigating, (laughs) navigating queer and transphobia in the Asian American community, like specifically the home community, like it's so bad. And it's hard because like, you know, like we grow up with this teaching, right? Like we're taught to like respect our elders, 
And I'm going to be honest, like a lot of times the elders are the one who say the most queer and transphobic stuff to me. Right. And I'm like, I can't respect you as an elder if you don't respect me as like a younger being, um, like as your grandkid or as your niece, you know, like I can't respect you. And just like being firm in that and recognizing that like, yes, I do have a deep compassion for my family and my people. And I also have a deep compassion for myself. And so far it's been working. <laughs> the boundary, the boundaries are working. I found this really amazing because as a Hmong American woman, I know how difficult it is to set boundaries. So I love that Shifeng has been able to find a way that works for her. And that includes deleting people from her Facebook. You know, like Facebook is really big in the Hmong community. <laughs> so I like just purged my Facebook not too long ago of like all the people who I no longer like talk to or want to talk to. And I think for my, my family, my parents specifically, it's the hardest part right now is normalizing it. Cause you know, at least like in my experience, like, like you said, like coming out, like the, the moments of coming out is what we all ever focus on, but nobody talks about the before and the after. And like, now I'm in the after and part of the after is normalizing it, right? Like normalizing me in women's clothing, normalizing me in mom clothes for women, right? And it's like, normalizing that and and having long hair <laughs> and it's been very interesting I guess is the word I'll use because I can tell like my family is trying to to normalize it like internally within themselves and I can still tell like especially from parents like they still have this idea and this image of me right and like what I was supposed to be when I was 23 versus what I really am so yeah it's just a lot of patience. I, I think that's like how I can sum it up. Xufeng <laughs> shared with me one of the first conversations she had with her parents in relation to her identity as a trans woman. Um, I think the first one is the conversation about hormones and surgeries. You know, and I like not all trans folks want to like go through hormones or go through surgery and that's totally valid. For me, I do just so I feel more complete in my body and having that conversation of like, like it, it's what I want to do for my body. So I feel complete. And, you know, my parents being parents, they're very much like, okay. And what are like, what are the risks? Uh, what are the risks of hormones? What are the risks of surgery? Because it's not like, it's not going to be like a small surgery. Like I'm changing, <laughs> changing something really big. And that's like a conversation that we have a lot is like, okay, you know, they want me to be safe and they want, they don't want me to like grow up and get old and then like have all these complications. Aside from normalizing physical changes, the language they use is also changing. So like identity based language. So yeah. And, and having that conversation a lot of like, I'm not a thoo, like I'm in Thai and it's, it's not even really a conversation. It's more like, I'll just correct them. They'll be like, oh, like, ooh, why not? And I'm like, mm, Thai. <laughs> like, if you don't say Thai, I'm not coming. Um, but yeah, and even that, like, obviously it's like, again, they referred to me as a son, as a thoo for 22 years. Like the, it's a habit now, right? Like, and, and habits are hard to break. So I'm still giving them that compassion of like, it's a habit. 
I understand that it takes time. And I think for me, like what really matters is that like I see them trying and that's what matters to me, right? Like it's not going to be 100% correct all the time, but at least they're trying. It has been three years living in a pandemic, so I was curious how it impacted Chufeng. I think it has. The pandemic has made it easier and harder in different ways. So it, it makes it easier because you know, like because of COVID, if I don't want to be in spaces with people who don't respect me, I don't have to, right? And yeah, like it makes that easier. Like it makes protecting my peace and protecting myself a lot easier. I think where it gets harder is, you know, like you said, like finding community and building these relationships in person. Like Chufeng, who came out twice to her family, Angela also did some exploring before getting to where they are now. Hi, so my name is Angela Latinafali and I identify as a woman. Um, my pronouns are they, them, it's what's most comfortable to me. Um, I'm Tyler Ocean and I identify as lesbian. Honestly, there were big signs when I grew up. Fun fact, my, I guess, gay awakening as a child was when I was seven and I was at my friend's house. And I saw the movie Jasmine and we were watching um, Aladdin, basically. And Jasmine came on with her red outfit. And again, I was seven and I was like, oh, my God, that woman is hot. And I just realized growing up more and more, I became more self-aware of myself. And I guess I just realized, oh, I don't want to be that person or I don't want to be big friends with that person. I want to date that person. And honestly, growing up, I just realized, oh, I like women. And when you're a kid growing up in like the 2000s and the early 2010s, it's a thing where LGBTQ characters aren't present in a lot of shows. So I didn't realize that, oh, you could like women and or you're allowed to like women. And I realized, oh, I guess I'm bisexual. However, sexual identity and orientation are fluid, and through self-exploration, Angela felt that they identified differently. After years, I guess, of identifying as bisexual, I came to the conclusion that it's just not a part of me. I don't feel anything, and I had to sit down and talk to my mom like, hey, I think I just like all women and non-binary people, and she actually was really understanding. And of course, she asked me a lot of questions like, so you're not going to have a husband in the future? And I was like, no. Um, and just asking me general questions and they weren't negative remarks or anything. This was a great moment with their mom to be able to tell someone they love and express who they are and a moment to be celebrated. For me, I remember coming out as lesbian and then waking up the next day and I felt like a weight was off of my shoulder. I remember rushing to a website just to buy Pride Flag. And when it came, it made me like the happiest person. And it's hung up in my room, all bright and pretty. And every morning I wake up to it and I look at it and I just get reminded like, hey, you are who you are and you got to love yourself for that. And it just made me feel like I was finally able to accept myself. And it didn't matter if other people accepted me. As long as I loved myself and I was there for myself, that's what matters in the end. I wanted to know from Angela what would have been helpful through this journey of understanding their sexual identity, especially being Southeast Asian. A lot of it's going to be emotional support. And I think in general, Asian parents tend to not be the most mentally or emotional supportive. 
for me, being Thai Laotian and also identifying as lesbian is one of those things that tend to clash together. Um, I come from an immigrant family that, that's still trying to open up and still trying to understand society and the world in general outside of what they knew from Thailand and from Laos. And whenever, for instance, whenever I go to temples, I have to take my septum out, even though it's the way that I express myself. Um, I have to decrease my makeup, take my septum out, and I can't act queer, you can say. I have to act perfect and polished. And it's one of those things that's a little bit degrading, I guess, because it's, I can't be myself. And even though to someone else, like a septum might be really important or be not important at all to me, it mattered to me because I felt like it was a part of myself. Angela was involved in a variety of high school activities, including cross country, where the responses varied. When I first came out, I also came out to my cross country group. Um, I was a manager for my cross country group in sophomore year. And that experience was really just life changing. We're talking about a group of people that are closed minded and people that don't really know people that don't look like them people that don't think like them. Um, so when I came out to them, I was like, hey guys, I'm lesbian. And a lot of people were supportive, but there are these two people that just right off the bat, I could tell, did not agree with my identity. Um, one person was telling me how she was looking for a roommate. And mind you, I was a sophomore in high school, so I wasn't sure why she was telling me this, but she said she was looking for a roommate and she sent me screenshots of her denying her roommate because her roommate was bisexual. And to me, that felt like a little bit of like a stab in the back of being like, so you don't support me, but you don't want to openly say it. And the other person just said that I was confused and that I scared him a little bit. Well, he was scared of me and just me being like, oh no, a gay person on the cross country team, what will I do? And it was just one of those things I was like, I am who I am, and I'm the same person you were talking to 10 minutes ago, but you're just now finding out. So people will curve the conversation, or people will be like, people treat you like you're a completely different person after you come out, but it's like, I'm the same person that I was 10 minutes ago, and I'm the same person I was yesterday when you were talking to me. And it's just the one fact that they learn when you come out, it suddenly changes everything. And it's like, it shouldn't change everything. I'm still the same person. I spoke with Mubina from Sewa, Asian Indian Family Wellness, to learn about the South Asian Queer League. Hi. This is Mubina Qureshi, and I use she and they pronouns. The identities, that's a very complicated thing for immigrant refugees and asylees in United States. Uh, for me, um, I'm an immigrant, a queer Muslim, and a survivor of racial as well as gender-based violence and religion-based violence back in my country in India. So one very solid reason of, you know, having this support group is the intersectionality that people could share and feel associated with others who are coming with those uh, shared intersectional identities. That also includes lower caste and lower, you know, uh, 
class issues, also immigration issues. It's a hard process for individuals who come with intersectional identities. And uh, the, the whole set of uh, you know, difficulties with people who are born and raised here, the, the conflict between cultural um, upbringing in the house versus the world outside their homes, it's, it's very complicated for folks to navigate through all those emotions and all those uh, you know, uh, identities when they are identifying as you know, non-heterosexual person. So this support group gives this you know, authentic space for them to be with others who are sharing the similar um, identities and intersectionalities. So I think that's where the importance of such, you know, community-based and um, exclusive groups, support groups are very important. Like many spaces for marginalized identities, they have to be created by us. And this type of support or flourish group is new and growing. Uh, so in Midwest, uh, we never had any exclusive support group before 2020. And uh, when I joined um, this nonprofit organization, that was the first thing I was, you know, searching online and couldn't find any specific group, exclusive group for brown folks and Desi folks who come from India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan, and all the South Asian regions, global South uh, regions, I would say. So we uh, inaugurated uh, this support group and particularly this, uh, you know, programming for South Asian trans, non-conforming and LGBTQ plus identifying individuals uh, that offers wraparound services, including mental health support, healthcare disparity solutions, culturally and linguistically specific emotional support and a lot of healing sessions with uh, using, you know, music and art and food and all the cultural aspects, uh, which is, you know, very holistic in nature. So yeah, that's our programming for South Asian folks who identify as queer and LGBTQ plus individuals. I wanted to know from Mubina what's something that's been rewarding as this space has been coming to life over the past two years. We we inaugurated and like we had our first in-person support group meeting in February 2020. And in March 2020, we had literally, you know, the entire world went virtual because of COVID-19 virus. And uh, so I remember um, from two people, like five people who agreed to meet in person after so much hesitation, because in culturally people do not, people are not encouraged to seek help and support. So it was really very overwhelming for folks to come out and meet in person with people look like themselves and speak like themselves. So in February, we, you know, instead of five people, we just met with two folks And then next month, because of pandemic and because of virtual setting, we actually had like five, seven people joining the meeting. And since then, we have been, you know, meeting virtually. And and I have seen folks from 
January or February 2020 or say, you know, I was in contact with few folks in back in like, you know, 2020. And now I'm seeing, seeing them so very proud of themselves, so very thriving and, you know, having the confidence of having community around that, that, that gives me, you know, this feeling of pride and joy that, okay, we could create a space, a safe space for folks to join and talk about cultural issues and, you know, systemic racism against people of color in uh, Minnesota, all of those things. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel really very proud of creating that space and it's not hierarchical. So all the folks who join in, they have their own ways of talking, sharing, and, you know, sharing the space. There is no one asking them to speak or, you know, express themselves in a particular way. So it's a very open, free space for folks. Mubina mentioned before I record a conversation that the concept of coming out is Western. I asked her to elaborate more on this. One thing that, you know, I always love talking about is the language and jargon. Our languages are very gendered and our cultural languages have very limited, uh, you know, vocabulary to express different identities. So when you try to explain that to older generation, it becomes very difficult. Here, there are a lot of terms, a lot of different, you know, definitions of, you know, different tags and all of that. And folks feel very pressurized to come out because they're white friends and, you know, non-community or culturally specific community friends, they push them for coming out. And because the way you are showing yourself that automatically it's itself is like very, you know, self-explanatory that you belong to LGBTQ plus community or you are not heterosexual or heteronormative. So it is very westernized concept to be coming out in the, you know, on social media and in families, all of that, that I personally believe I never felt like coming out because people know that they understand it's it's that deliberate ignorance that is you know that people do not want to recognize you as that that is the more problematic issue as we come to the end of the episode i want to leave you with some last words from our guest so one advice I always, you know, give to folks, take your time. Uh, your life and your mental health is more important than your coming out. Of course, nobody should be living in a closet. But as we know, our communities can get violent and, you know, the family relationships can uh, harm um, individuals very badly. So just take care of yourself and try to take care of your mental health first. You are valid. Your identity is valid. The way you, you know, express yourself is valid. Uh, so we are here 
uh, those who are open and out and loud. So I started posting TikToks for people to be able to relate to. And a lot of my comments are also like, oh my gosh, you're from Minnesota. I didn't know that. And I find it enjoyable being able to be a representative for people, especially like Asian American lesbians. There's not too many of us. And in our own communities, we also know like being LGBTQ isn't seen as the best thing. So I like to come forward. I like to be out loud and proud and be a hand for someone else to hold and to pull them through on their journeys and stuff. I like for people to see what it's like if they were out and proud, basically, and just being a representative. If you're listening to this and you are a queer Asian person, just know, like, I love you and you're so valid. And again, like, you can be both. You can be both unapologetically and openly. I hope that this month has been filled with celebration and joy. As we move forward, may we fight for bigger changes to keep our LGBTQ plus folks safe and loved. Special thank you to the lovely guests that I spoke with, Rubina, Angela, and Chu Feng. You've been listening to the instrumental version of Ming Mong by Chu Feng Yang. Make sure to check out the full song on YouTube or Spotify. This episode is written, edited, and produced by your host, Yoko Vu, storyteller intern at Asian American Organizing Project. More information about AAOP can be found at our website, aaopmn.org. Thank you for listening and see you next time.